All right, so get your phones out. If you've got a phone, if not, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, the old-fashioned way, which, by the way, is probably better, but still, we're in 2024, so I realize most of you are going to get your phones out. And I'm going to give you this sentence. I'm going to put it on the screen. And this is kind of the premise for what we're going to be talking about today, but ultimately, it's the premise of what we talk about every Sunday here at Thomas Road. It's what we talk about in every life group that meets throughout the week. It's what we talk about on Wednesday nights in Awanas. It's what we talk about in our Thomas Road students event. It's what we're talking about our young adults event. It ultimately is the premise statement for our faith. Outside of the gospel, because we know our faith is grounded in the truth that God loves the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That ultimately is the major premise statement. But, but this statement is a picture of like what we do, why we do it, and why we lean into this thing called faith. Okay? Got it? Okay, here's her statement. We're going to put it on the screen. I don't know what screen it's going to be on. It's going to be on some screen. I promise it's going to be on the screen. There it is, okay? There's a sentence. Take a picture. And it just simply says this, that he is the help you've been looking for to guide you in a difficult time and to give you the hope you've always wanted. Let me say that again. He is the help you've been looking for to guide you in a difficult time and to give you the hope you've always wanted. Now, in that statement, and go ahead and leave it up there, guys, for a moment for those who are actually writing it down with pen and paper. Leave it up for a moment. But, but ultimately, like, isn't that what all of us are looking for? Like, like isn't that exactly what we desire? The reason we came together here on this first Sunday of 2024, gathered together in this room, it's because, yes, we, we know we see our friends, and that's great. We, we know we get to come together and enjoy fellowship. Uh, we may get to go out and have a cup of coffee when you came in this morning and, and say hello to people you've been saying hello to every Sunday for, for, for generations. Maybe that was a, a motivating factor. Maybe for some of you the motivating factor is your mom and dad said, get up, we're going to church. I don't know. But regardless, you're in the room, but ultimately... It comes down to this simple statement is that we want to know Jesus. Why? Because he is the help that we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time and to give us the hope that we've always wanted. Because every single one of us in this room have moments in our life that we're walking through difficult times and boy, do we need a guide to help us walk through those times, to help us figure out how to make it through that situation. I've had scores of them in my 57 years. You probably have as well. And sometimes when you're in the midst of them, they seem like they're so massive and they're so big and they're so overwhelming. And I realize that maybe, you know, with perspective as you move down the road and you look backwards on them, maybe they weren't as big of a deal as you thought they were. But let me tell you, when you're in the storm, the storm seems pretty big, doesn't it? When you're right in the middle of that storm, man, it seems pretty tragic. And sometimes they indeed are tragic. And so what do we need? Well, here's what we need. We need the help we've been looking for to guide us in those difficult moments. And oh man, do we, do we desperately want hope? Man, we want the hope we've always been looking for. The world is looking for hope. In fact, the, the National Institutes of Health, which is not a Christian organization, by the way. In fact, they are far from a Christian organization. Uh, they actually did a study not long ago on this idea, this picture, this statement of hope and what hope can do for you in your physical and emotional and mental health. What can it do with, it, with regards to longevity in your life? 
And they did a study. They studied 1,063 individuals. They followed them over about eight or nine years. They were older adults, so they were you know, up in their 70s and 80s years of age. And they followed them, and they interviewed them regularly and had some questions that were put together by some very smart doctors and PhDs to kind of measure this idea, this picture of hope. And so they began asking them these questions and, and to find out like, who were the ones that really like, had hope who were the ones that were kind of like in the middle who had a little bit of hope? And, and then who were the ones who were hopeless, who had no hope whatsoever, who thought that life was tragic and there was nothing to look forward to and there was no reason for living? And they followed these 1,063 people over a, a period of eight years. And here's what they found out. They found that the people who had a great deal of hope, that they had a, a 26% mortality rate. I'll explain all this to you in just a moment. They had a 26%, 26.1% actually mortality rate. But then the ones who had no hope, like the ones who like felt like there was nothing to live for, no reason to move forward, like everything was bad. These were the, you know, the, the glass was always not only half empty, it was like it had a hole in the bottom and it was draining all the time, like, like those people that they had a mortality rate of 35.8%. Let me tell you what that means. That means the people who had no hope died a lot quicker than the ones who did. Now that is not a Christian study. That's not a church study. That's not a, you know, a biblically based study. And, and my, my belief would be that if you studied 1,063 people who were strong in their faith, and I would find probably that you would probably see that they would live a lot, lot longer than those other individuals would, because of the hope that we find that is not found in stuff like the world would measure, but rather hope that's found in Christ. See, hope is a big deal. And so when you think about that statement that he, Jesus, is the help that we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time and to give us the hope that we've always wanted, it goes beyond simply a, a biblical statement. It goes beyond, beyond like simply a church statement because let's be honest, you're sitting in a church that teaches the, the word of God, that teaches the Bible. You would expect us to have a statement up there like that, wouldn't you? Well, they've done studies that tell us in the National Institute of Health, help, hope is a big deal. Arizona State University studied a, uh, like 10,000 college students and found that, that those who actually had a hopeful heart, who were actually excited about the future and had hope for the future, that they did far better academically. They did far better socially than those who did not. So you can see, it's not just a church thing. But here's what we have to recognize and understand. That when you talk about hope and when you talk about that guide in the midst of a difficult time, we have to anchor it to something. Because hope without an anchor is a pipe dream. Hope without being locked to something that is real is really nothing but a pipe dream. It's just like, man, I sure hope that I can do that. I remember when I was younger, man, I had this, I wanted to, I hoped one day I'd be able to climb Mount Everest. I'm never going to climb Mount Everest. I've watched documentaries. I don't want to go near that place. I, I, you know, I hope to, but listen, without actually training for it, man, you can't do something like that. Man, when I was a kid, I hoped I'd be the quarterback for the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. Like, like I hoped I was going to be the quarterback one day. Man, I used to dream about it. Man, I used to dream about handing that ball off to, to John Riggins and have him right and run right through the middle or, or throwing that long pass, you know, for the time. Man, I hoped I was going to be the quarterback for the Washington Redskins. I didn't have a prayer because it was an anchor to reality. It was an anchor to something that was real. 
There was a time when I was a little kid and I used to read the Richie Rich comic books. And I hoped one day I'd be able to grow up and have a McDonald's in my basement. Have you seen the movie? How awesome would it be? Like to get up in the morning, I'm going to McDonald's and all you have to do is walk down the steps. I mean, come on, that would be incredible. Like I hope, but that wasn't grounded in reality, right? Because there was no anchor there. But when you anchor your hope on something that is real, when you anchor your hope on something that is absolute, when you anchor your hope on something that goes beyond and transcends, Everything that is in our culture and everything that is in this world that can pass away, everything that can be destroyed, everything that can be ripped down, when you anchor your hope on him, then he is the help that will guide you in a difficult day and to give you the hope you've always wanted. So I told you I was going to give you the one sentence, and I hope you've got the sentence, right? You got the sentence? Should we say it together? Let's say it together. Put it back up on the screen, if we would. Here we go. Let's just read it together out loud. Can we do that? Great way to start 2024. Ready? Here we go. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. He is the help you've been looking for to guide you in a difficult time and to give you the hope you've always wanted. Now, that's the premise statement for our time together today and this year and forever. Like, that's the the thing that we talk about all the time. And so for our sermon today, that really is our one point. Now we're going to take that one point, that sentence, and we're going to break it down into four parts. And we're going to do that by going to Scripture. Because let me tell you something. If all I gave you was that sentence, and I shared that with you, that that was our sermon for today, and I spent the entire, which I could, by the way, and I spent the entire 25 minutes, 30 minutes talking about that sentence. Um, and, and I could, listen, I could do it. In fact, together this morning, our deacons got together. And we all prayed together. And Lou Wider, who's the chairman of our deacon board. Lou, where are you? Are you here in the room? Lou, stand up over there. Stand up, Lou. Lou is the chairman of our deacon board. Everybody say, hi, Lou. So Lou prayed over me and prayed with me this morning before we came into the sermon. And in the middle of his prayer, he actually prayed these words. And God, if pastor today goes off on a rabbit trail, I pray that you would bless that rabbit trail. <laughs> did you not? You didn't use the word rabbit trail. He tried to make it sound spiritual. And he said, what did you, you, you use some other... What was it? Sidebar, which basically is nothing more than code for rabbit trail. Uh, See, so no, I could spend 30 minutes and I could walk through that sentence and I could could use that and I I could give you great encouraging words and I could give you great motivational thoughts on that, that sentence. I could do that. I promise you, I could speak for an hour on it, okay? But here's the deal. If all we did was come to this room and listen to a guy get up and give you a great motivational speech on a great motivational statement, a great motivational sentence that that really is real and is true. Like if all we did was that, we would be wasting our time. Because remember I said we need an anchor, right? And the anchor is the word of God. I am not the anchor. Like, in fact, I wrote this sermon yesterday while watching Gabby's Dollhouse, okay? How many of you know what Gabby's Dollhouse is? I have my, my granddaughter, Olivia, over. We, we, we were keeping Olivia and my grandson. I'm on, a, I'm on a sidebar, Lou. I'm glad you prayed for it this morning. So we, we had Jay and Olivia over. We were keeping them this week because my son, Jonathan, and his wife, Paige, were out of town for an anniversary trip. And so we had, so yesterday I was writing the sermon in the midst of watching Peppa the Pig and Gabby's Dollhouse. And so, um, 
So, so yes, I mean, yeah, I could come up with a great statement and I could give you a great 30 minute hour long motivational speech and be a waste of time if it were not for being grounded in the word of God. That's the anchor. It's not a guy, it's not a preacher, it's not a great writer, a great author, it's not a, a great mo- motivational speaker. We have lots of preachers out there that are nothing but motivational speakers. I've heard a lot of pastors who'll get up and, man, they'll wax eloquent for 45 minutes and they'll never mention the word of God. And here's what I would tell you. If you ever happen to be in a church where the preacher gets up and speaks for 45 minutes and he never mentions the word of God, get out of the church and go find a different church. Because you are not there to listen to a guy. You are there to hear from the word of God and, and be moved by the spirit of God. And so... So, so I gave you the sentence, right? So he is, he is the, the help you've been looking for. He's been the help, he's the help that, to guide you in a difficult day. He's the, the, to give you the hope that you have wanted. The, that's the sentence. Here's the verse. Let's get the verse. John 8, verse 12. Go ahead and turn there if you would in your Bibles. John 8, verse 12. Here's the verse that we're going to spend time talking with today. Here basically is where that sentence I just gave you, where that sentence comes from. Now, Jesus is speaking here in the context of the, of the temple grounds. He's gathered there together at a time, the Feast of the Tabernacles. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He's speaking to a lot of people, including the Pharisees who had gathered around him. This took place literally like right after they brought the woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, what should we do with her? Remember that, that story in John chapter 7? And Jesus knelt down. He wrote some things in the, in the dirt there. And, and then he said, you know, the, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he told the woman, go and sin. No, you, you remember the story, right? You got it, right? So, so this came right after that. So he's speaking in the temple. Speaking during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And here's what he said. Jesus spoke to them again. Here's what he said. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if you spend time studying that verse, and then you go back to the sentence that I gave you a few moments ago, you can see that sentence is anchored here. That that sentence is anchored in the truth and the statement of what Jesus himself spoke. Now, he made this statement in John chapter 8. If you've studied the word of God in the, the gospels in the gospel of John, you'll find that you'll find in throughout the book of John that seven times he made statements where he said, I am. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. He said, I'm the door. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm, he said, I'm the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the true vine. Seven times he gave those statements, I am. And in every one of those statements where he made the statement, made the, the declaration, I am, he tied it back to the fact that he was God. That he is the word of God. That he is the one who he and the Father are one. He made that clear, which, by the way, is why the Pharisees were so upset with him, right? It's why they came after him to kill him. It's why they wanted to crucify him, because of that blasphemous statement where he dared would say that he was forgiving people of their sins and he was healing people on the, the Sabbath and then making the statement that I and the Father are one, claiming to be God. They wanted to kill him for it. And so in the midst of that statement, in the midst of that that season, he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. 
Now, let's take that verse and let's take that sentence. So our one-point sermon and our one verse that we're the anchored from. And let's break that sentence down according to this passage, according to this word that we have given you today, this verse that I've given to you today. Let's figure out, like, is, is it something we can count on? Is this a good place to start a new year? So let's go back to this verse. Let's go back to the sentence, I mean. The statement, it basically says that he is the help that guide us in the difficult day and to give us the hope we've always wanted. So let's start with that first two words, he is. He is. Go back to the, the verse. John 8, verse 12, in the first part of the verse. And Jesus spoke to them again and makes the statement, I am. Here Jesus clearly is declaring himself, declaring himself deity. Now remember, now he's speaking this in the context of the first century, obviously. He's there speaking on the temple grounds. He's speaking to a people that about 13 or so hundred years before that, that they recognized that this was a people who were wandering in the wilderness. It is a time, there was a Feast of the Tabernacles where the Feast of the Tabernacles, the purpose of that, that eight-day feast was them to come together and to celebrate God's presence and God's provision in the wilderness. Now, let's take a moment and let's remember the wilderness time, right? The 40 years they spent, Moses is leading them out of Egypt. They get into the wilderness and you remember now for 40 years they walked in the wilderness, right? And what did God provide to them? Well, God provided manna, Right? He provided bread to them as they walked throughout uh, that wilderness time. And so the Feast of the Tabernacles was to, uh, to celebrate the fact that, that he was there. He was there with them all the time. If you go back a little bit before that, when God called Moses to then go and to lead Israel out of Egypt, remember what God spoke when Moses said, who should I say is sending me? Remember that statement when they were having the burning bush conversation? Right. And Moses is like trying to get out of it. He's trying to get out of like, like making every excuse in the book. Like, I'm not your guy. I can't do this. I can't get up and wax eloquent on 35, 45 minutes on something. Like, I can't do this. There's no way. I'm not your guy, God. That's what he was saying. But then finally he gets to the place where he recognized, like, I've got to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and he says to God, like, like, who should I tell them sent me? And what did God say? Tell them, I am sent you. Why? Because that statement, I am, is a declaration that God has always been, and God is, and God will always be. And so now here we are, 1,300 years later, in the middle of the temple grounds, in the middle of the Feast of the Tabernacles, where they're pointing back to that moment that God provided and protected and led Israel out of their captivity. They're, they're celebrating that in the midst of this moment. They're, they're, they're lighting the candelabras there in the, in the court of women, which is what it's called there in the temple grounds. And they're doing all this to celebrate that statement. So for this man who is standing in the midst of them to make this declaration, I am, it had deep meaning. Now, if I were to walk into a room like this, like on a Tuesday afternoon and say, I am the pastor, like that doesn't really, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's a declarative statement, like, and it's a true statement, like, it's, okay, cool, he's the pastor, but it wouldn't have like a lot of meaning, it wouldn't change things, right? If you were to walk in and to say like, I am a, an electrician, 
It's like a true statement, but I mean, it's not going to be like something that is earth shattering. If someone walks in and says, I'm hungry, <laughs> that's not going to be a groundbreaking statement that is made in the midst of, in, in the connection with other people. But in the midst of a moment where people are gathered together to celebrate a monumental occasion that was taking place, something that happened years before where people's lives were literally saved. And someone comes in and says, I am in that moment, like it has a lot of weight. If we were to go today to New York City and to walk onto the, uh, the area where now is a memorial, the 9-11 memorial where the World Trade Center once stood. And if you're gathered there as every day, people gather there and, and have moments of reflection and moments of silence. If someone was standing there and they could honestly make the statement and say like, I'm a guy who was in that building the day it fell. It would have meaning, wouldn't it? It would have weight. If we were having a celebration of a, a Pearl Harbor Day, which we just had a, a, a month ago, and there was a person there who, who happened to be there that day at Pearl, Har Pearl Harbor, and, and you're standing there in, you know, in 2023, you know, just a, a month ago, standing there in that place and honoring those who lost their lives. And yet there was a man there who's 102 years old who said, I, I am a person who was on the Arizona that day. You'd want to hear what that person had to say, right? You see, it would carry a lot more weight. It'd be a totally different story. And that's what Jesus did here. He said, I am. He tied himself to the Almighty. He tied himself to Almighty God, the one who delivered them from the captivity in Egypt. He delivered them from the, the, the wandering in the wilderness. He provided the manna. He, he led them with that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Like he's the God who was with them every step of the way. And the people who heard those words that Jesus had to say, those were people who recognized that had it not been for that God, they would not exist. If it were not for that God 1,300 years prior, they would not even be there. And so when this man standing in the midst of, of that gathering says, I am, it had a lot of weight. Let me just tell you something. It still does. When you read God's word and we hear over and over and over again who Jesus is, it should carry a lot of weight. It should make you want to listen it should make your ears perk. It should make your heart lean in. It should make you like, I want to know what Jesus has to say. Why do we follow Jesus? Here's what we, because I want to hear what that man has to say. He gave us his word so we would know how to live. Why? Because he is the help that will guide us in the midst of a difficult day. You heard the prayer list a few moments ago. There's a lot of people walking through some difficult days. I look out around this room and I see a lot of faces of names that were not mentioned here, but people who are walking through difficult days, marriages that are falling apart. Doctors who've said, listen, there's, there's not much more we can do. Financial situations where like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my, my rent this month. I don't know how I'm gonna put groceries into the refrigerator. I, I don't know how I'm gonna provide for my family. Man, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult day. He is the help that you've been looking for to guide you in a difficult time.
So when Jesus makes the statement, I am, you better listen. In fact, if we went back in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 through 4, declaration of who Jesus is and why it's so important that we listen to what he has to say. It says these words, be silent before me, coasts and islands, and let peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them testify, let's come together for the trial. Who has stirred up someone from the east? In righteousness, he calls him to serve. The Lord hands nations over to him, and he subdues kings. He makes them like dust with the sword, like wind-driven stubble with his bow, with his bow. He, he pursues them, going on safely, hardly touching the path with his feet. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I am the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. Why does it matter we listen? Because he's the one that literally moves the mountains and calms the seas. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, the declaration, I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Anyone like that verse? I know me and I know I have sins. I know that in my journey there have been transgressions. I know that there have been lots of things in my past that God has every reason to say, I'm done with him. Man, I am so glad I could read a verse like this where the declaration is made that he is the one who sweeps away our transgressions and remembers them no more. Why do we listen to this man who, who makes this declaration, I am? Because he's the one that can save your soul. He is. The first part of that sentence. The second part of the sentence. sentence. He is. The help you've been looking for. Look at the next part of verse 12 of John chapter 8. So it says Jesus spoke to them again and makes the statement, I am. Now he says, I am the light of the world. Now you remember I told you this was a statement that was being made around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. A time when they came together to celebrate God's presence and God's provision when they were wandering in the wilderness. They still celebrate this even now. In fact, back in 2023, it took place September 26. Uh, it started there in Israel, and they celebrated that, that entire Feast of the Tabernacles, that season, a, a holy uh, time there in Israel as they walked through that, that moment. Now, the context in which Jesus made this statement, I am the light of the world, it was because during the Feast of the Tabernacles, in the midst of the court of the women, which was outside of the temple, uh, you know, the Holy of Holies there, they had large candelabras, and every night they would go in and they would light these candles. And they would light them, and as they lit them in the midst of darkness, then people who were you know, religious leaders within the, 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 the gathering there, within the, the grounds of the temple, that they would begin to perform. They would sing and they would dance. They basically had a, a church service, a worship service, if you will, around these candelabras that were being lit in the midst of darkness. And so here, Jesus, in the context of that moment, in the middle of that time, he makes the statement, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's saying, like, I'm not just like a little bit of light over here in a corner. He's not saying, like, I'm not even the light of the candelabra that's lighting this temple grounds. No, what he's saying is, I am the light of the entire world. Because back in that time, and it's still true today, that the sun is what gives us life. 
The fact that the sun exists, if the sun went away today, we would all be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? The fact that the sun exists, that God created the sun and, and hung it into space so that we would have, we would have heat and we would have light and we would have uh, the, the warmth that we would need, have the sustenance that we would need to, to grow the crops that we eat, all of the things. It, it comes from the fact that the sun is exactly where God put it and exactly where God created it. And people in that day, even the Gentiles of that day, they worshiped the sun. And so for Jesus to make the declaration in the midst of that moment, in the midst of that context, to say, I am the light of the world. Again, it has a lot of meaning. Again, it spoke volumes to the people who were gathered there. In fact, arguments took place, and we're not going to read it today, but if you continue reading in John chapter 8, man, the Pharisees came after him for making this statement. Say, I mean, you can't say that. You're not a valid witness. You can't do that because scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 19 that, that there has to be two witnesses in order to make something valid. Jesus himself, oh, hey, listen, uh, you know, I can testify to myself because light speaks for itself. If we were here in this room today and I told the tech guys up here in the, in the loft, hey, turn off all the lights in the room right now. It would be pitch dark. And don't worry, I'm not gonna do it. It'd be pitch dark in the room. Like it would be black in this room. Like you, you, would, you would not be able to see anything. But the minute that they said, okay, turn the lights back on, when those lights went back on, guess what would happen? Instantly you'd be able to see. I would not have to tell you that the lights were on for you to know the lights were on, right? You would know it. You would just know the lights are on. Why? Because you'd be able to see. And so Jesus said, no, I can testify to myself because light can testify for itself. But then he goes on to say in John chapter 8 that, that, that he testifies because he knows because he and the Father are one. And so he makes this declaration that even there are two people and it's God the Father, God the Son who are declaring the fact that he is the light of the world. Now let's go back to our sentence. He is the help that you've been looking for. In every one of our journeys, we're constantly looking for help in, in, in the way. We're looking for people to get us down the road. We're looking for something that can provide help to us in the midst of difficult times. I told you I had my granddaughter and grandson over this week. And we were, they were staying with us. And man, there were multiple times this week where, where Olivia or Jay, where they needed help with something. They needed help getting something down off of a shelf. They needed help opening the, the box of spicy chips that Olivia loves, which are nothing more than Doritos. But for her, they're spicy chips. And she needed help to open them up. She needed help with our little M&M dispenser that she needed to, to make sure she was able to get her M&Ms out. She, and people are sitting there saying, they don't feed them very well, do they? <laughs> she did eat a couple of grapes, so all is well. But... but she needed a little bit of help out when she wanted some juice. She, Papa, I need some juice. I need juice in my cup. And so I had to go and pour her juice. Like, like she was constantly looking for help from me to make it through the day in insignificant things. But to her, they were a big deal. When she needed her toys, when she couldn't reach them, that was a big deal for her. When she wanted to watch Gabby's Dollhouse, she doesn't know how to use the TV. I had to turn it on for her. It was a big deal for her because she wanted it. So she had needed help from her, her papa to help her do. Like, like that's a big deal. Understand, there's not a person in this room who doesn't need help. Some of you say, well, I'm self-sufficient. I can do it on my own. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. 
You cannot make it through this thing called life all by yourself. You need an anchor. You need something that will give you everything that you need to make it through every single day. And the only thing that that will happen, the only thing that that can be a reality is it comes from God through Christ alone. That's it. So he is the help that we've been looking for. Let's keep reading in this, in this sentence. He's the help that we've been looking for to guide you in a difficult time. Tozer said it this way, the only safe light for our path is the light which is reflected from Christ, the light of the world. So when he said, I am the light of the world, he goes on to say in the next part of this verse, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness. You ever walk through your house at nighttime without the lights and you stepped on something? My kids, when they were growing up, there were many times they were playing with Legos. Satan created Legos. <laughs> Satan created Legos to be left out at nighttime. He created them to be stepped on by fathers and mothers when the lights were off to test us on what words are going to come out of our mouth in the middle of the night when we step on the Legos. That's why Satan created Legos. I love, I love Legos. I had them when I was a kid. My kids had them. My grandkids had them. Satan created them. You ever walk through a house late at night when it's dark and you step on a Lego? It's a difficult thing. Far, far more difficult is walking through this life in the midst of darkness. And I would say today that most of the world today is walking through this world in darkness. They're stepping on the Legos of life. They're stepping into the, the trials and the pain and the tribulation of valuing the things that are of no value. They're walking through this life every single day thinking that the things of this world is their goal. They're laying for themselves up treasures on this earth where moth and rust can destroy. And they're walking in the midst of darkness and they're running after the things, the pleasures of life, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. They're running after it every single day and they think that's the goal. That's the goal. That's what I want. I want that. And rather than following Jesus, they're following the crowd. More people in this world today know what Kim Kardashian is wearing today than they know the God of the universe. You see, we're following the wrong things. So what did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness. Why do we follow Jesus? Here's why. Because he is the help we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time. Do you think this world's in a difficult time? The division, the anger, the upheaval, the sin that is rampant, the things that people are running after that will destroy, the fentanyl crisis that we have, the opioid crisis that we have, drugs that are everywhere, sexual sin that is everywhere, an internet that is primarily full of pornography. Do you think we are in the midst of darkness? Do you think we're in the midst of a difficult time? We are. And here's what Jesus said. I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. Why should we follow Jesus in 2024? Because we live in a dark world and we need the light. 
We live in a dark world and we need someone to guide us. So he is the help that we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time. Oswald Chambers said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything. That's a statement, a declaration of what this world really is. We've stopped fearing God. And because we don't fear God, we fear everything. He is the help that we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time and to give us the hope you've always wanted. Last part of this verse. After he says, I am the light of the world, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness. Listen to this. But will have the light of life. But we'll have. That's a promise. That's not a might. It's not a maybe. Maybe I'm not a could. Like, hey, your goal should be anyone who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, God promises that he will give to you the light that you need in the midst of darkness that will give you the life that you've been longing for, which creates a hope that drives everything. Why do we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus because he's the only one that can give us hope. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he's the only one that can give us victory. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he's the only one that can bring us through the midst of brokenness and sin and pain and sorrow and anger and division and hurt. He's the only one that can deliver us from the power and the chains of sin and the problems that we face because of our own choices and because of our own desires and because of the pleasures of this world that we're running after. He's the only one that can bring us out of darkness and to set us into the light of life to give us the hope that we need. In Philippians chapter four, verse 19, we're told my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 14, verses one through seven, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I don't know about you, but you talk about hope. You talk about life. You talk about promise. You talk about a future. When Jesus himself says, I am going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming again to get you and to bring you where I am so that you will be there for all of eternity in the midst of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You talk about that is nothing but hope. And we have a world today that is desperately needing hope, looking for hope, longing for hope, looking for hope in all of the wrong places. And yet God's word says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anybody here today want the light of life? Let me ask you again. 
Anyone here want the light of life? Of course we do. And God is the only source. Jesus is the giver. In one of Charles Spurgeon's greatest and most famous sermons, he makes this statement. When Jesus said, I am the way, he clearly intended to exclude all other ways. So beware lest you perish in any one of them. You see, in John chapter 14, he ends that statement by making the declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of those other seven I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Basically, he's saying this. Hey, you might be running after the things of this world, but understand, if you think your hope is found in anything else other than me, you will not find it. Why? Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our only hope. He is the help that we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time and to give us the hope we've always wanted. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. You talk about hope? What Jesus tells us is if we believe in him, guess what? You don't have to fear death because you will never die. Now, is he saying your heart will never stop beating? No. It's appointed unto man once to die. We're all going to die. But here's what he does say. You believe in him? Death is not a stop. Death is not an ending. Death is nothing but a door that enters into what is really, truly life. And that is for all of eternity. And that's what Jesus has prepared for us. We will never die. John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus said, the one who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. As a pastor, more importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a person who for 51 years have trusted in and believed in the words that I've shared with you today, I want you to know what drives me as a pastor, what, what guides me every day, what, what makes me want to get up in the morning and do what I do is just simply this. There are way too many people, even in this room, who continue to dabble in the darkness when God's desire is for you to dance in the light. That you are walking a path of running after the things of this world that will lead nowhere. That you are more captivated and, and captured by the things of this culture than you are by the Christ of God's word. The reason we follow Jesus Christ is because if we don't, then all we're doing is we're walking in circles. You see, hope without an anchor is nothing but a pipe dream. And my prayer for 2024, my prayer for this church, my prayer for each of you, my prayer for this city, for this community that we call home, my prayer for this nation 
My prayer for this world is that once and for all that we would see Jesus for who he is. He is the light of the world. And anyone who follows him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's why we follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today we are overwhelmed by your mercy and your grace and your goodness because we know not one of us deserves it. To think of the words that we've read today and the encouragement that they bring, God, to know that like, we absolutely should not expect any of that from you, but yet you gave it willingly. That we don't deserve any of that, God, but you were free to hand it to us. God, we're overwhelmed. God, today we live in a difficult time and we need a guide. We live in a hopeless world and we need hope. God, we are grateful that you are the help that we've been looking for to guide us in this difficult time and to give us the hope we've always wanted. And so now, God, for these next few moments, for the people who are gathered in this place, God, there are people who are hurting and there are people who are lost. There are people who are languishing in sin and need to be set free. So God, I pray that in this moment that you would help decisions to be made that change everything. God, I pray for that person who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that right now they'll make the decision to trust and believe in you and you alone. That they would believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay for their sins. That they would call on his name and would be saved. God, for that Christian who has been running in circles because they've spent more time following the world than they have following you. God, I pray that there would be times of repentance in this moment. Of a simple statement that's made, God, I'm sorry. Because God, there are people in this room that need to make that declaration on this first Sunday of 2024. They know it. I don't know who they are, God. You do. God, I pray that they would make that statement today. There are people today that are walking through the midst of difficult times. We're hurting, we're sad, we're sick. And in this moment, Father, they need to recognize that you're the hope they've been looking for. So God, I pray that today that they would take all of the problems and the pains and the trials and the hurts, that they would take all of that, God, and lay it at your feet and just say, God, I trust you because you're what I've been looking for. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, it seems to me that while really this Sunday is no different than last, it does seem that in a practical way that the first Sunday of a new year's a really great time to just get on our knees before God 
So we're going to open the altar. The altar, you know, it's always open, but for this morning. I know there are some people here today that need to meet Christ. Maybe you've been in this church a long time, but you've never actually come to that place where you said, yeah, I, I, I need to get saved. As always, our team is here, and I encourage you to come down and just tell them, hey, I want to get saved today. And we celebrate with you. We rejoice with you. There are some people here today that are walking through difficult times, and you just need to hand your troubles to God and say, God, I trust you. There are people here today, sadly, probably the majority of people who need to make a decision today are people who are believers, Christians. But yet your life has been more following the world than following Christ. And maybe today you need to come to this altar along with the people who are just handing their things to God, handing their hurts and their pains to God, those who are coming to to meet Christ, maybe you need to come with them and kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I've been walking in darkness because I've not been following you. So today, I want to turn it around. First Sunday to you, God, today I make this day. I'm turning it around. And so, listen, without fanfare, without like a big move, without, you know, you know, big push, like if you need to come to this altar right now and pray for any need whatsoever, first Sunday, great time to do it. I just want you to get up wherever you are right now and come to the altar. Wherever you are, just come and just kneel here and just say, God, I want to give it to you. God, I want to hand you my trials. I want to hand you my problems. God, I want to give you my sin. God, I'm tired of walking in the darkness. God, I just want to give it to you. It hurts too much to do it on my own. Or maybe you want to meet Christ. Man, our team's here. We'd love to talk to you. Just just wherever you are, just come on. Again, no big big show, no big fanfare here. Just, Just a simple statement. Altar's open. This Sunday being the first Sunday of the year, it's a great marketing tool. It's a great thing, you know, that's, but it's no different than any other Sunday. In fact, it's no different than any other Thursday. It's just simply a day where I say, listen, I want to get things right with God. So if you need to do it, just come on down right now. The altar's open. Wherever you are, I'll give you a couple more minutes. Come on down. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to conclude the service and, and I'm going to pray. But what I want to do right now for those, and again, if you want to keep, just, you know, the altar's open, just feel free to come on down. But I want everyone in the room to, to just look at me for a minute because I want to share something with you that we're going to be starting next Sunday that talks about this idea of following Christ. In 2020, we came together as a church in the first part of that year. And on the second Sunday of that year, we started a 21-day fast, a time of fasting and prayer. Jesus himself even said, speaking to the disciples who could not heal the child of of a man. He said that this thing doesn't happen but through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a big deal. It it works. Prayer is powerful. Prayer can do anything that God can do. Nothing of eternal significance is accomplished apart from prayer. I could stand up here for 48 more minutes and give you great statements that were made about people from people on prayer. Prayer is a big deal. Fasting, it's a big deal. So next Sunday, starting at sundown next Sunday, we're, we're going to ask our church to walk through a, a season, 21 days of fasting and of prayer. We're going to hand you a prayer card of things that we're going to be praying for, missionaries that we want to pray for, ministries of our church we want to pray for, people within our church we want to pray for. We're going to have places for you to write your own personal prayer requests there that you can take and stick it in your Bible, stick it in your purse and, and pray every day over those things, whatever those needs might be. 
We did this in 2020 and we prayed for God to do some really big things. We're going to do that again this year. We're going to be more specific. We're going to make sure we, we uh, don't leave it open-ended for pandemics and those kinds of things, but, but we're going to pray that God would do some really big things in this year in our families, in our church, in our community, in our world. We're going to pray for revival. Now that fast is going to look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. For some of our young people, for Cody and Jeremy and our middle school and high school department, you know, maybe it's fasting from electronics or whatever, I don't know. You know, for some people, it might be fasting from, you know, certain, some people might do the Daniel fast. They might fast from certain types of foods. There are others who might do a complete fast. Whatever God leads you to do, that, that's what we're in for 21 days. That you will literally say, I'm going to give up something that's important to me to seek after the one who is ultimately important to me. And we're going to walk through these 21 days leading up to the first part of February. And we're going to ask God to just start a revival in our hearts and do something massive in 2024. Because here's what I will tell you. When we talk about he is the help we've been looking for to guide us in a difficult time, it's never been more difficult than now. The world has never been more messed up than it is today. Sin has never been more rampant than it is right now. The attacks on followers of Jesus Christ They have never been more prevalent than they are today. And make no mistake, yes, we live in America. We live in Virginia. We live in Lynchburg. Man, it is a free country. And we live in a great state. And we live in a great community. But here's what I will tell you. The attacks are going to come in ways that will shock you in the days to come. Because Satan knows his days are numbered. And he's going to come after each and every one of us in ways that we have never experienced before. And here's what I would tell you. With those attacks that are certain, I want to make sure I'm leaning on something that is more certain. And that is the protection and the provision and the power of Almighty God. And so we're going to be starting that next week. I just want you to be praying this week about what that might look like for you. About what that might be for your journey. We're going to ask every one of us to do that starting next Sunday. God, today we are overwhelmed by your goodness. We're overwhelmed by your presence. We're overwhelmed by your power. God, we're grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, the light of the world. God, we want to follow him like we've never followed him before. Because we don't want to walk in darkness. We want to walk in the light. So God, I pray that you would give us everything that is needed to make that reality for each and every one of us gathered in this place. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise of the work you're going to do. Protect us, God, from the attacks of Satan, which we know are coming. And God, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar's open. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. Next Sunday, we're going to be in the book of Luke, and we're going to be talking about how do we follow Jesus in 2024. God bless you. Have a great day.
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.